What's up, everybody? Jay Miller here, bringing another Productivity in Tech podcast. My guest this week, wow, my guest this week is Lee Warwick. Lee is someone that I actually just met. We're doing this a lot right now. By the way, I'm Jay Miller. I am a developer, entrepreneur, business owner, automator, multi-potentialite do a lot of things. And the thing that interested me about Lee so much is that he does a lot of things as well. Uh, In fact, when I invited him onto the show, his first excuse was, I can't be productive. I have 8,000 things that I'm doing. To which my response was, if you're doing 8,000 things, you have to be doing at least something right. So Lee is a front-end developer with Realtruck.com by day. And then when he leaves the day job, he is an organizer for the Orlando's Project Code Experience Meetup. He's also the co-host of the Tech Junior podcast, which I was thinking like Orlando, Nickelodeon, Nick Jr., Tech Jr. I'm sure it's not going to be that, but we'll get there. And... He has a very interesting story, but I'm not going to be the one to tell it. Lee, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. (laughs) It is a pleasure to meet another person who is so engaged in the community and trying to uh, increase your own knowledge, experience, but also enlighten, entertain, inform all of the other people around that are in your shoes circa a few years ago. Absolutely. So let's start off by uh, getting the backstory of what got you to where you are today as a developer. So it's a a long and and winding road. Um, But I guess it could start out um, in my first like ever time touching code. Uh, if you remember those graphing calculators from, you know, high school or middle school, uh, I learned how to do like functions in those so I could solve like uh, the Pythagorean theorem or something. I thought that was neat. And so going from there, I had always been like a computer person, uh, got into college, went to the University of Florida, um, got into computer science there. Um, and I started with Java and it was absolutely miserable. I hated it. Uh, I don't feel like I, I learned anything when I was uh, actually taking that that course. Um, the instructor was miserable. So I uh, basically gave up on it, switched to um, another passion of mine, which was Japanese language. Got a degree in that. Um, did a year as an exchange student in Osaka, uh, Japan. And then from there, came back to the States, graduated, um, became a firefighter and a paramedic uh, for four and a half years, and then a registered nurse uh, working in critical care, uh, emergency and surgical areas. And then that whole time kind of just still thought in the back of my mind, man, I wish I was coding. And so I uh, found my way to a coding boot camp. Um, went to the UCF coding boot camp here in Orlando, Florida. I uh, did really well in that and got hired pretty much straight out of that. 
Very cool. And the rest of this conversation will be based on your next answer. What's your position on anime? I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Cool. <laughs> we are... Uh, I, I used to do a podcast called Devotaku with uh, a couple other people in the cafe. And we started through Cowboy Bebop. For me, it was like my third time through it. Uh, for some, it was like their first time. And we never finished it because we got to, we got probably to about like the last four episodes. And one of the hosts was just like, no, no, I'm done. <laughs> so we're, we're now looking for what's that next show going to be that we're going to binge stream and just watch and then just record all the episodes in one big marathon. And then we'll release them weekly or something. We think it's going to be Agritsuko. Okay. Yeah, I'm familiar. That's, uh, that's Or Assassination Classroom. I haven't watched that one, but I'm aware of it. Well, very good. Actually, shout out to Netflix. They've got a lot of really good animes that they just added. Um, Evangelion is on there now. I was just going to say that. You guys should maybe binge Ava. And then uh, you'll really have a good time with the last couple episodes. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Ava is one of like my favorite ep- like animes, so <laughs> it would hurt me. <laughs> but yeah, we're not here to talk about anime, even though this is good conversation for the after show. <laughs> or I guess for the bonus episode that goes to our premium members. But yeah, you mentioned that you started as a developer, well, at least in school, with like the idea of wanting to be one. And then said, eh, not for me. And then went to do this other thing. But then the developer in you kept trying to break out. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I started with Java. And uh, funny story. um, I think it's been, what, uh, 10 years now? No, 12 years now since I started with Java. I just now, maybe a month ago, can say that I fully understand public static void main after taking it for an entire year in university. So um, I, I, like I said, I absolutely uh, did not enjoy um, coding in kind of like the classical setting. Um, I did all my coding on notepad uh, .exe. Um, and then I took all my tests for that course on a piece of paper with a pencil. So like writing code and curly brackets and all that garbage with a, with a pencil was pretty miserable as well. Um, but yeah, one day I was in uh, the emergency room in the trauma center here uh, in Ocala and I was doing free code camp stuff because I had a little bit of downtime. Just kind of like, oh, you know, I hear a lot of buzz about Python. Let me try and do some Python. And my boss came out and she was like looking over my shoulder and she goes, Lee, what are you doing? I was like, oh, you know, just kind of checking out some programming stuff because that's always been an interest of mine. And she just came, kind of gave me like this disappointed mom look and was like, well, Lee, you know, nursing you got to want it. And then in the back of my mind, I was like, you know what? You're right. I don't want this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of Googled around and I came across this coding bootcamp thing. And I was like, first reaction, this is a scam and they're going to take all my money. <laughs> and, uh, for whatever reason I signed up for it and did it and it turned out to not be a scam. So, so are you still using Python in your day to day now? Uh, I'm not. Um, I'm a JavaScript person. Um, I 
am a huge admirer of West Boss with his JavaScript belt. I think I want like a jacket or boots or something. Um, but I'm looking to branch out in other languages now that I feel like I've got a solid handle on JavaScript. Uh, and I'm definitely looking at Python. So see, I'm like the exact opposite. I'm Python first. And then when it gets to doing front end stuff, it's like, well, let me just load view from a CDN and then <laughs> work with it that way. I am not a node person. I don't know what it is about node that just throws me off, but it's not just you. Okay, good. Front end development is just a jungle. Um, it has kind of started out, you know, classically as this very simple thing or very pure thing of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And it's, you know, you load your script tags, you load your style tags in your document, and you're kind of ready to go. But uh, over the years, it's just become more and more complicated. And now we're dealing with Webpack and Babel and TypeScript and ES modules, uh, CommonJS, and just a whole lot of headache for anybody that's trying to get into it. I think that's the big thing. That's the thing that makes me love Python so much still to this day. It's the fact that the code that I wrote when I first started learning Python was not good code, but the good or better code that I write some six, seven years later doesn't look that much different. It's It doesn't take a lot to go from, I'm a total noob with Python to, I at least write code that other developers can look at, understand what's happening, and not be afraid to use in their own applications. Python always throws me because, um, first of all, like having a lot of experience with C languages, um, not having curly braces is kind of mind blowing. And then on top of that, like all the underscores everywhere just completely like melt my face off. So uh, I'm really interested in it, especially since um, at my current uh, workplace, we use Pug and Silas uh, a whole lot. So everything is kind of indent based already, except for the JavaScript. So I've come to really like that. And I think it's really good. And I haven't had to close off a tag and like hunt that down in a while, which is really nice. So um, I'm warming up to the idea of, of getting into Python. I think that'd be fun. And if you have any questions, then you got people. Yeah, so. I will trade you JavaScript advice for Python advice all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm winning on that one. <laughs> so yeah, you had a long journey to get back into development. What was it like taking some of the skills that you had gained outside of the industry and either tossed them away or implemented them as a new front-end developer? So probably the biggest thing that I, I really got out of uh, being a fireman and a nurse is learning to talk to people. And not only learning to talk to people, but learning to talk to people in incredibly miserable and uncomfortable situations for both myself and them. So showing up at people's houses in the middle of the night, uh, coming into their you know hospital room to help them out, uh, really difficult and embarrassing situations, um, and just having to be very empathetic and uh, sympathetic to people. Um, you know, as a kid, I was very, very shy. 
uh, didn't like people or crowds or, you know, typical introverted developer type of person. And um, you really have to get over that fast as a uh, somebody that's working in the public and as a public servant. So um, I still bring that with me to development. Um, I am quick to go out and try and talk to people. And even if they're like huddled at their desk and don't want to look up and they're kind of like shy or I'm hosting the meetup or something and you know, people are just kind of like milling about and not saying anything, I'll try and introduce myself and, and say hello. Even though it's still a struggle for me, uh, I really want to try and, and help people get over that and, and start you know, networking and branching out and meeting other people and other developers. How important has that connection part, that getting involved in the community, getting others to get involved in the community. How important, in your opinion, is that for developers? Because like you mentioned, most developers are very introverted. They're not the type that are going to connect with others on their own, at least until they realize and another reason why I love the Python community so much is they're so welcoming and so inviting but people don't know that until they are kind of pushed into it a little or I guess nudged into it um, how important is it that they get that community connectivity um, professionally uh, I think it's very helpful uh, if not necessary, but uh, the days of you sitting at a desk and writing an entire program by yourself are kind of long gone. Uh, most software nowadays is very complicated. It requires a team effort to get it done. And hey, if you're on a team, what's important? Communication. So that aspect of the job, um, maybe people don't think of it straight off the bat, but says it's very important. Um, as far as networking goes for developers, I think it's it's very important because the community is maybe the best part of being a developer. You know, you can go find developers, random people on Twitter, on Slack, whatever, and say, hey, I'm having a problem. Can you help? And yeah, there's some internet tough guys that'll maybe say something uh, snarky or something, snappy, whatever. But for the most part, people are very helpful and welcoming. So um, not taking advantage of that seems like a misstep. And I really want to try and spread, you know, that, that message that, hey, you know, and, and really if you look at, you know, a lot of developers and some of their interests that overlap, um, there's a lot of gaming communities and stuff where people get together and they, you know, connect online or in person and go to these events and stuff. And it shouldn't be any different for development, really. We're all excited about the same stuff, like you know, get hyped about Python and no curly braces or, you know, Hey man, I built a flask app. You want to check it out? Yeah, man, show me. So, um, and really what happens is once you get into that, that mindset and that mode of connecting with people and networking, you're going to increase the opportunities that you're exposed to. So maybe you make a great friend that taught you how to learn Python, for instance, and that person then comes to you in a month or two months or a year and says, Hey, you know, I've got a job opening on my team. Do you want to, you know, apply? And you wouldn't get that from just sitting at your desk, not talking to anybody and just firing off resumes to Indeed. So um, I think it's a really overlooked thing and certainly has some bad press 
uh, in the past, but is definitely nowadays, I feel like it's getting a whole lot better to be a developer. I absolutely agree. And I would definitely mention that, as I said before, um, which if you're a premium member, you heard this. If not, they probably got edited out. But we had a connection, not just over Python, but over anime and our, you know, appreciation for it. And the thing with that is I'm not the only one. In fact, I've done podcasts with other developers who like anime and different kinds of anime even. So like I was able to not only connect with people over a similar topic, but also learn from them from a development side, but also get some really good show recommendations out of it. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of good shows, you are the co-host of the Tech Junior Podcast. What What is that? So um, I guess to answer that, uh, I'll have to step back into when I was still in the boot camp. So when I first started the boot camp, we kind of the first day everybody stood up and said what their profession was and kind of what their experiences were. And so we had everything from like a legit sysadmin DBA person who already had a computer science degree who was in the course um, all the way through like uh, a girl that um, she made the uh, the mascot heads at Disney. So like did all the repairs and like, you know, uh, recreated them and stuff. So just everybody from all walks of life, every experience level, people that had experience with code, people that didn't. Um, and that just kind of blew me away. And partway through the boot camp, um, I was doing pretty well. I made some friends and they had asked me about starting like an agency or something together. And so I, I said, okay, sure. And that turned into project code experience. Um, we kind of realized that we're a little inexperienced. Maybe it's not realistic to take on freelance work straight off the, uh, out the gate. And so he said like, well, why don't we start doing a meetup? Because, you know, community involvement seems to be like a really big deal in, in the tech industry. So why not do that? And then on top of that, there is no junior developer meetup in Orlando. So we did that. And then uh, from there, kept going with the meetup, got involved at work with uh, doing some talks um, and then kind of thought, why don't I do a podcast? You know, hey, everybody has a podcast nowadays, right? So, um, so um, good friend of mine, um, coworker Eddie uh, Otero. Um, I met him at the first job that I had out of the boot camp, and he had always come out to the meetup and was recording our talks and like producing them uh, for YouTube. So he was like very involved. And I said, Hey man, you, would you be interested in doing a podcast? And he said, yeah. And Eddie's like way more shy and has like, <laughs> he's like antisocial a little bit, doesn't want to talk. Um, and so he's, he just, he was like, yeah, I really need to work on that. So why don't we do this thing? And so kind of taking that spirit of helping junior developers forward, I was like, I'm a junior. I wish I had better resources when I first started. Why don't I be that person that can produce those those resources and pass on the stuff that I've learned. And then on top of that, I still have that perspective of not knowing anything about anything. So why not take that perspective and go interview people from the industry and say like, Hey, can you just break it down for me? Because I don't understand, you know, things the way that you do as a 10 year veteran of the industry. 
you know, people start talking about like Gatsby, for instance, and then they're talking about MDX and uh, Remark and Prism.js and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, it, what are those things? You know, can you, can you bring me up to that, that level that you're at and, and kind of up to speed on all these topics? So um, a huge, really, really great show that does that is Syntax FM. And I listen to that like every day that I drove down to the boot camp because it was like an hour and a half drive. And um, just listening to those guys break down all these topics really prepared me for interviews because when I started interviewing, I didn't know anything. And so they would ask me like, uh, hey, Lee, what's dependency injection? Gosh, I have no idea. But then listening to syntax, it would cover something like that. And every time that they reach a certain point, they would go, hey, for anybody that doesn't know, dependency injection is, you know, whenever you have uh, an app that depends on a third-party library, don't call that library all throughout everything. Um, isolate it in one spot, make a wrapper for it. And then that way, if you ever want to swap that out, swap in your other third-party library, and it's very easy to change out dependencies. Oh, man, fantastic. You know, now I can rattle that off in an interview thanks to listening to that kind of stuff. So that's kind of the whole ethos around uh, the, the Tech Junior podcast. And, you know, that's something that everyone is in a different position. I, I think there are senior developers who have some junior tendencies. And in some areas, there are junior level developers that because of their desire to learn more or having good leadership or good mentorship, they have the traits of experienced senior development. And I do wish we would get rid of these titles only for that reason. I always feel like the separation of experience through a job title is only an excuse to limit pay or to enforce a policy. And I empathize with those people. And this is coming from someone who has never held an official developer role. And the reason being is every interview I've gone to for a junior developer role, they say, you're overqualified. We don't want to hire you because you'll be gone in a year. You know, doing the stuff that we would have a junior developer do. But then when I go to a mid-level developer or a senior level, a senior level developer role, they say, you don't have the experience. Why don't you apply for a junior level role? And it's yeah. that vicious cycle. Yeah, the uh, I wish we could throw away senior, junior um, titles and also full stack titles because that's kind of dumb in my opinion. I feel like all that stuff is just kind of an HR construct to put people into different slots. And development is an incredibly complex field. Uh, there's a you know three million technologies to work with. Some people are really good at some um, versus you know completely brand new to others. So you may have a, a absolute expert at Go that could write a Lambda function in AWS, uh, you know, in her sleep. But then 
thrown a CSS change ticket or something would completely flounder. And, you know, maybe to one company, that's a senior developer. To another company, that's a full stack developer just because she's willing to touch CSS. Um, and then to another one, you know, that would be a junior front-end developer or something. So these titles don't really mean anything uh, to me. It's just kind of like a way to qualify or quantify, you know, people and then shove them into some kind of bracket for human resources to, you know, oh, well, you deserve this much money or, you know, you deserve this much, I don't know, responsibility of the job or something like that. And, you know, it's just not that easy to, I guess, grade a person's value as a developer that way. And so that kind of bleeds into, you know, how terrible interviewing is a developer uh, or applying for jobs where you get like these job requirements that are, you know, made for some kind of like Hercules of development that knows eight different technologies that came out last year and has 10 years of experience in them. So, I mean, I could go on all day about how terrible uh, of a disservice that we're doing to junior developers. There's a YouTube channel. Um, I don't, I'll put it in the show notes because one, I can't remember the full name of it and I don't want to give it that disservice, but I was listening to it Friday and they were talking about that where they went on like Indeed and looked at all of the different junior developer job titles or job descriptions and they were ridiculous. Like half of them were underpaying people and asking for way too many recommendations for the pay that they were offering. And, you know, they all had that same 401k full benefits. And it's like, okay, every company, in my opinion, if you're hiring people, you should be wanting to take care of those people. So that's like a minimum requirement for me. That's not like a bonus. Right. So the, um, the, the job postings out there are just so low quality. And we as an industry have kind of shot ourselves in the foot with junior developers. And it's funny that you talk about people looking up junior developer positions. Uh, I wonder if you can even find any because looking at Indeed and you type in junior developer, you might get like a handful of postings. So I actually saw an article the other day that was like, what killed the junior developer? Um, and I think we've got this practice now where uh, companies don't want to be the person to take on new people and train them. And instead they just want to poach, you know, people that already have experience from other companies and bring them in and like entice them with, Hey, we have a ping pong table. Hey, we have a beer tap. Hey, we will pay you another $10,000 a year, which doesn't break out to, you know, that much money. And, um, people fall for it or they get tired of where they're at. And it's so easy to change jobs as a developer because there's so many positions that, kind of once you're in, you can make those moves really easily. And so now we've got this system where we don't embrace the people that are coming up, you know, in the industry and train them and turn them into great engineers. We just expect great engineers to materialize out of nowhere and then try and like fight each other to death to recruit them. Well, we have that and many of the issues with, I would say the big business side and their lack of wanting to be transparent about how things are done. Um, I know there are companies that, and people that we've had on the show that talk about 
I can't tell you who I work for because by doing that, I put myself in danger of losing my job where, you know, for you, the fact that you mentioned the name of the company that you work for in your bio, I was just like, wow, like that's not something you see all the time. Like I almost wanted to ask at the beginning, like, is it okay if I use the employer name? (laughs) I honestly can't tell you. Um, I haven't run it by marketing or anything yet, but, uh, I would assume that they would be happy for me to go out there and kind of spread the good name for the company. But I've also worked for another company that was not okay with that. So I definitely understand what you're saying. We'll just say all the views and opinions on this podcast are those held by the people speaking and not by any of the companies they represent. That was a brilliant (laughs) disclaimer. Have you practiced that? (laughs) Only once or twice. (laughs) Awesome. So yeah, this is, you know, we're, we're talking about this whole junior developer issue and I want to ask you, you mentioned in your bio that you are wanting to pay forward all the help that you receive tenfold. Do you feel like you're at tenfold now? I mean, if you're doing 8,000 things. I don't really think that I'm there yet, but I'm, I'm trying, um, Obviously, I'm doing the podcast. I'm trying to like collect my thoughts and experiences, put them down. I'd like to start a blog soon, but I haven't circled back around to it. Um, I'm running the meetup. I'm trying to get you know good quality uh, presentations and talks for junior developers that are you know in Orlando, and then also record those and put them online on YouTube so people can watch them and enjoy those uh, those quality um, educational resources, regardless of if they live in Orlando or not. But uh, I still feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, it, like I said before, the industry is not really welcoming to junior developers unless you're a giant company like Microsoft or something and you can afford to have a, a massive system in place to just like create this junior mill or something where you hire people straight out of college and have you know them do grunt work and stuff and try and train them up. But uh, that's definitely not the norm. And I think a lot of companies are very, very shy to pull the trigger on hiring on a junior developer because they think, like you said before, oh, they're just going to leave in a year or, oh, they're going to wreck my code base. And those things are just not true. Um, I'm actually trying to get um, some conference talk proposals written and sent out to do a whole presentation on this because um, I've just done a lot of reading on it. And there's a lot of pushback against that from developers that are kind of waking up and realizing, uh, first of all, we're going to run out of senior engineers eventually. They're going to retire or get burned out. And then second of all, um, it's actually a good thing to have juniors on your development team. Um, Nobody's telling you like you have to go hire a bunch of one-year experience people, but having a few of them on your team is a really good resource. And it's a good opportunity for not only them, but um, your code base and for your senior developers on the team. I mentioned this in the... uh last podcast that we had with Jonathan Megan, he asked one of the key things I learned being in the military. And just in my experience, the biggest thing was you learn by doing, you master by teaching. Yeah. Um, And that was, that was something that I had to adopt relatively early in my, I guess, my life. Um, 
just because, you know, when you're a leader in your early 20s and you're doing like mission critical work to keep lives alive, then you realize you don't want to be the only person. Because when you're the only person and things inevitably go wrong, all they can do is look at you. And they shouldn't. You should never be in that position to begin with. But it's the nature of the beast. And that's something that I can't remember the name of the PyCon talk that I just watched earlier. But I will also add it to the show notes about doing pre-modems and pre-mortems and post-mortems on projects and using a lot of developer empathy skills as defined by April Wenzel and Compassionate Coding. Great friend of mine, uh, someone that I talk to on a regular basis now. But the more people that you can get involved in your code, the less likely errors will happen. Whether they're juniors, whether they're seniors, it doesn't matter. The more eyes you have on code, the more visibility you have. And the more that you're able to show someone why you did a thing, you will wind up answering questions that you didn't think you had to answer. And that you had never wondered, well, why do I do it this way? And it not only makes your junior developers, quote unquote, better, it makes all of your developers better. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just kind of going back to my experiences with the fire department, um, it's a paramilitary organization, uh, but we would do a lot of drills. um, We would do a lot of training. because, you know, things are critical and, you know, some people just weren't very into it. Um, especially like on the medical side of things, but, uh, gosh, it's, it's just so important to have this, um, mentality of training is good and communication is good and teamwork is good because, you know, all of those things are going to make you more successful just in, in what you're doing. And with coding, um, if you are, let's say, going back to you know junior developers and senior developers on a team, uh, if you have junior developers and let's say that the senior developer um, works on a ticket or something, and then you do a code review and you include the junior developer, the junior developer looks at that code and goes, uh, hey, Jay, um, why did you write this function this way? And then that forces Jay to go, well, gosh, why did I do that? And then they have to explain it and then kind of reason about it. And then that exposes a lot of confusing code and code that's not maintainable, code that's not reusable. Um, And it just forces people to take a more critical look at what they're doing and realize like, oh man, I didn't realize at the time, but this was kind of clever and not really good code, you know, by, by our standards. And another thing is, Uh, Juniors will come in and make a lot of mistakes, um, you know, naturally as inexperienced developers. And so they'll come in and let's say they put a class name on something and it wrecks the whole code base. You know, that's something that is not their fault. That's your fault for writing code that's so brittle that a junior can come in and 
you know, one line takes down the whole program. So why are, why are they even posting that directly into production without it being tested? Yeah, exactly. So like you want those things to be found early and juniors are really great for that. Like they can be that code canary that comes in and messes things up and, and kind of takes things for a whirl. And, um, it's really good to catch those things early on instead of shipping it to production. And then, you know, all your senior engineers that write perfect code can't figure out what happened. So, um, there, and there's just so many ways to debunk these like myths of how juniors are going to wreck your code base and, and they're just going to leave in here and, and all this. Um, it's just so silly of an argument that uh, I just can't believe that people just accept it. Well, I wasn't expecting the conversation to go in this direction, but I am glad that it did. I think that we definitely have made a very good argument for the removal of the concept of junior developers as a way to limit uh, whether it's compensation or access. And I think what we need to do is start treating every developer based on their knowledge as it pertains to the project, putting them either in the hands of a mentor to help increase their knowledge or giving them someone to mentor so that they may not only increase someone else's knowledge, but increase their own. Yeah. Um, as far as experience goes, I've never been asked, uh, as an interviewer or as an interviewee about like, you know, specific things that I can do in a language or, or something like that. It's always, I ask them, what are you looking for in an, you know, in the ideal employee? And everybody says without fail passion. And they say that because it's so important to have people on your team that love to learn because we all have to learn continuously every day. And it doesn't matter if you've been doing it for five years or one year or six months or you've never been on a team before. You have to love learning and you have to love teaching so that kind of everybody can grow as a team together. Um, my, my CEO even came in the other day, or not CEO, CTO, um, and he said over my shoulder, uh, you know, talking about my boss. Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, he goes home and codes or, or something to that effect. And I love people that kind of eat, breathe and sleep it. And so um, I kind of like understand what he's getting at. I don't like the thought of like somebody working some 18 hour day coding or something silly, but uh, kind of going back to the fire department, when I was in fire school, I had a uh, instructor stand up in front of us and he said, you guys have to be students of the game. And I was like, that's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. And so he started talking about like, oh, on my days off, I read magazines. I have like firehouse, you know, daily um, that I read on the John and I go to fire conferences and I'm part of like all these um, like organizations and meetups and conferences and, and all this, this stuff. And it's just what he's trying to get at is that you have to be immersed in it. You have to love it in order to do well at it. And development is definitely that kind of industry. You can't just phone it in and, and kind of like show up and do your tickets and, and whatever. I mean, there's plenty of people out there that do that, but that's not the way that you're going to be like wildly successful at it. And that's not the way that you're going to have an amazing team at work if people are just kind of showing up and phoning it in. So you really need to, to be engaged and like you have to love the industry and love what you're doing 
if you're going to be the person to take those extra steps and to do those extra things to be successful. See, I want to agree, but also disagree with a little bit of that. I agree that you have to have a passion for what you're doing. Obviously, I've been doing podcasts for going on four years now. And as a fellow podcaster yourself, these things don't pay very well, but they do take a lot of time. And I could tell you that, oh, I eat, sleep, and breathe podcasting. And if I want to be the best podcaster ever, I got to give up Python and give up all this stuff and not go to North Bay. And instead, I got to go to PodCon up in Seattle. That's just not true. I think, and and I think you said this, I just want to clarify, but I think that what companies, in my opinion, should want is someone that's going to show up that is ready to learn, that is ready to get engaged, work as a team, and make things happen. And I think what that person does outside of work is on them. I do feel like developers who love programming are going to write code. They're going to love learning about code, whether it's during hours or off hours. I think that's going to happen. But I think the idea that we need to enforce people having to go and get committed outside of their daily expectations. I think that's a violation of letting that person just be them. And to me, I think individual creativity trumps skill every time. I don't want the best developer in the world writing code on sanitation maintenance. Yes, the city will smell great. The trucks will all (laughs) run on time. But if that person was able to be a little creative outside of his day job, maybe they want to be, I don't know, someone that writes games or someone that wants to get into machine learning, give them the ability to do that. Like no one should be so focused on their job that it takes them out of living. So I think what you're describing is like uh, kind of the inverse perverted uh, kind of notion. <laughs> like if corporate America kind of took this idea and was like, yes, this is a good idea. We should mandate that everybody does code out outside of work and off hours. <laughs> and you must yes. turn in your own creative project to us once a week. Uh, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you have to be this person. I'm just saying that um, you do have to like what you do. And I think if you are that person that likes coding, it's going to happen organically. You know, you're going to be looking at articles. It's, it's happened to me and I see it happen over and over again. Like people are just interested in this stuff and they like it. And so they, you know, they read about it on Twitter. Um, they see it on, you know, blogs or, or whatever. And they watch YouTube videos um, just kind of like, oh man, that looks interesting. Let me check that out. And that, that stuff happens naturally. It's not something that you should go home and force yourself to do. If you're having to force yourself to learn code, 
you need to take a hard look and say like, is this really for me? Do I really like coding? Or is this something that I kind of got sold on through the marketing? Like I saw people playing ping pong, ping pong at work at Google and sitting in cool chairs. So I thought I wanted to be an engineer, but I really don't, you know, um, it's not always that glamorous and we do have issues like burnout in the industry. And so I'm not trying to tell you that you need to go force yourself to be this superhuman uh, engineer that does like 24 hours of coding a day. But if you love it, then you're probably going to do well at it because, you know, you just kind of naturally come across all of these things and go down these rabbit holes when you're learning stuff. Um, so maybe if we were going to talk about workplace, um, I appreciate companies that let their engineers have time to explore during the workday things that they're passionate about. So if you're into web development, maybe like learn how to build PWAs or web components or something, you know, for a couple hours on a Friday and that your team is kind of uh, cognizant enough to understand the importance of that and exploration and in, in life as a developer. So uh, I think there's definitely ways to foster that creativity and allow it to happen at work. And you can definitely benefit from it as an employer without kind of torturing your employees and saying like, okay, guys, you need to go home and code or, or something crazy like that. And, and again, I 100% on you with that. I just wanted to clarify because who knows who's going to listen to this, take it to their boss and then be like, well, Lee said that we should be all coding outside of work. So <laughs> <laughs> again, <laughs> everything said here are the views expressed by those listening and not by those of our employers, future employers, <laughs> so forth and so on. <laughs> Well, Lee, I've enjoyed this conversation, but we do have an after show to get to. So before we do that, two things. One, let me remind everybody, this has been a great conversation. We've talked a lot about what junior developers are going through and what we can do as a community to improve it, as well as being engaged and connected in that community. And if you want to hear more about that, and you want to hear more about whatever questions Lee is going to come up for me, then you have to be a premium member. And the reason I tell you that is because who knows where it's going to go. It might go into anime. It might go into grilling outside or something. I don't know. I haven't seen these questions, but I know that they're going to be great because I've got a great podcaster on the line with me. So if you're interested in these questions, or any of the other questions that have been asked by my previous guests, go to productivityintech.com slash memberships, become a member today. You not only get access to all of that content, you also get access to the premium ooh, group in our Slack community. Slack community itself is free, but the premium group, that's where we really talk stuff. That's how we talk about Pit as a business, Pit as a podcast, Pit as a brand. Like you are the people helping make Pit what it is on a daily basis. And you also get a weekly check in from me. I, I promise to reach out to us at least once a week. That is until we have a million people. And then I might have to hire someone to do that. <laughs> I only got enough time in the week. But yeah, that's productivityintech.com slash memberships for that. 
And the last thing, Lee, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Where can people find you and all the awesome things that you're up to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Lee Work Jr. You can find the podcast at TechJR Podcast. Uh, you can find our website with our show notes and all of our previous episodes at techjr.dev. Uh, you can talk to Eddie, my co-host, at ed0ter0. Um, and then you can also email me if you have any questions or concerns or you need help as a junior developer. I want to look at your resume or, or whatever. I'm happy to help. And my email address is leework at gmail.com. All right. Thank you so much, Lee, for being a guest. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was really fun. I can't wait to blast you with questions in the uh, after show. Oh, we're going to get there. But before we do that, I got to thank the people that helped make this show. Again, that's all my members. You know who you are. Thank you very much. If you want to learn more about this or if you have a podcast or video content that needs an editor, I am looking for clients and you can go to productivityintech.com for that. And of course, thank you to Nadir Omawale for the use of his music, A Hustler in Spite of Myself, for the intro and outro music. And for Lee, myself. Oh, sorry. One more thing. If you want to get in touch with me, you got to follow me on Twitter or just send me an email, but probably follow me on on Twitter. Yeah, just just don't email me. Just do Twitter. I'm at KJY Miller. And of course, you can keep up with all things productivity and tech at prod underscore in underscore tech. Now for Lee, myself and productivity and tech. I'm Jay Miller. I hope we've been productive and I will talk to you next week.